Oh, hi there. Just enjoying the heat. I don't know if you've noticed, it seems a lot hotter today than normal. I don't know if anyone's mentioned the heat. Uh, talking of heat, I have some hot, hot, exciting news. Um, I'm very, very excited to announce that I'm expecting, thank you, to deliver four podcasts at the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm bringing Tiny Revolutions, my show with Lush, to the Gilded Balloon on the 12th and 13th of August. So watch this space for updates, guest announcements, ticket links, etc. See you there. Welcome to Tiny Revolutions with me, Tiff Stevenson, the podcast that asks if comedy can be a force for social change. Please welcome to Tiny Revolutions, Erin Gibson. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you are so welcome. Very excited to have you here. Uh, for a bit of context for our UK listeners, some of them may already know you through your book. You are the author of Feminasty. That's right. I feel like I have to say it with an American accent. No, it's better. And it's better if you say it with an American accent, I think. Yeah. Because it's more, it's more, it's like um, ugly and powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a comedian, comedian and author. That's right. And How would you do, you, you're slashy like me. Oh yeah, you got to do it all if you want to pay your rent. <laughs> yeah, how many how many slashes, slashes, should I say, have you got? I've got actress, writer, director, producer, that's it, four. Yes. Dancer, no I'm Does not a dancer. It, yeah, barista, oh, yeah. doula, <laughs> I'll, I'll, best friend. I can thread your eyebrows. Yeah. I like it. We do. We need to be multi-talented uh, or multi-hyphenated. Is it hyphenated? I don't know. Uh, as women, just in order to kind of get on. Because a lot of the time, we have to make our own projects happen. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone should be ashamed about how many titles or things that they've had to do. A lot of times in LA, it's kind of like, oh, you're bragging. But That's I don't so agree. Funny. That's so funny. It's the opposite here. It's the opposite here. No one wants you to do more than one thing. They want to put you in a box and go, you do that. I remember when I first started doing stand-up, the agent that I had at the time was like, oh, well, Tiffany, darling, what are you? Are you an actress? Are you a stand-up comedian? Or are you a writer? I mean, what is it? We need to know what we're selling. Uh, so I left. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, by the way, it's not your... Like, when anybody's like, oh, I'm sorry, I have 15 million ways I can make money off of you. That doesn't make any sense to have a problem with someone who's like, I will do whatever it takes to make this happen. Yeah. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And the concept of the show, or the basis of the show, what we try to do is talk about comedy as a force for social change. Can it change anything? Does it change things? I believe strongly that it does, but I happen to think that, especially in America as well, the, the voices in comedy can be so dominant and powerful that they can make a real difference. In the UK as well, I think we we kind of had a little bit of a run up to what was happening with Trump in America, because obviously, we had Brexit. And whichever way, by the way, if you're listening, whichever way you voted in Brexit, I have an idea <laughs> that the people who are listening to this podcast will have voted a certain way. I don't think we should have been given a vote. I can barely rate a film on Netflix. And I was so, so cocky when I saw Brexit, ha or when I saw Brexit happen and then we voted for Trump and then I got a real taste of how it felt to be on the side of, uh, the wrong side of history, essentially. Yeah, the losing side, uh -huh. because obviously you, you wouldn't, have voted that way um what if i had would you i mean what would you do honestly have you had a trump supporter in here i haven't so far i was talking know. with with tawny yesterday and she was saying like 98 percent of black women 
Tony Newsom was mm-hmm. in America, like didn't vote for Trump. Um, so 53% of white women did, is that correct? Oh, right. And I'm from Texas, so I'm I'm fully aware You're of... You're under suspicion. Oh, right. You, you don't know where I stand. I've left, so I don't know where that puts me. But like the, the rich people I went to high school with who are white women all voted for Trump against their own, their own interests. It's a weird form of internalized misogyny that happens yes. in the South because you're raised to be very much an object to be... I don't want to say owned, but like you, you are defined as whether or not you're married. Right. If you're a mom or not. Is the Southern Belle still a thing? That kind of like charming Southern, big haired, looks pretty, but doesn't say a lot type of thing. Oh, absolutely. Be quiet. Know your place. Precisely. And do you, do you, I don't know if there's a phrase like this in the UK, but there's a thing that you say in the South, which is you're going to college to get your MS degree. So you're going to get married, not to Uh learn anything, but to become okay. a missus. So here's here's another example. Like there's quite a few political comedians here. And sometimes there is this kind of dichotomy and I talk about politics a lot. If I if my comedy is exactly where I want it to be, it will be a cross between the personal, the social and the political. So it will it will straddle all of those things. My show Bombshell was about kind of about dictatorships and sort of about being on the precipice of an apocalypse which it just feels like at the moment and also this apex of misogyny which has meant like that Donald Trump I I kind of feel like that the reverberations were felt around the world like the Me Too movement and this is quite a discussion here at the moment I guess is around Me Too and kind of going, finally, women have something to say. And you go, it doesn't take for us to be revealing all of our pain and horrors for us to have something to say. We've been saying stuff for ages. You just haven't been listening. That's exactly how I describe the Me Too movement to my grandpa. Right. Because he didn't really understand it. And I was like, no, we've always been saying this stuff. It's just now other people are listening. My, my husband couldn't believe, I told him, I think the statistic is like one in three women will have be a victim of sexual assault in her lifetime. I, I think that number is probably more like two out of three. Yeah. But he didn't believe it. And I, I was like, why are you not, why don't you, be-? I was like, I understand this isn't like, I don't believe you, you're a woman, but I was like, can you not believe that this is this prevalent? He yeah. didn't want to believe it. And I said, well, as a woman, if I said this to another woman, she wouldn't be shocked. She yeah. wouldn't bat an eyelash. I, I think I felt very protective and delicate around sort of November and December last year because I felt like it brought up so much stuff. I just felt like so many of the women I knew, and that is inside entertainment and outside any of this business, I felt it was also, it brought up so much that we pack away on a daily basis and try to ignore from these kind of like microaggressions up to rape and murder, you know, like how women have a lifetime of these experiences. And I remember doing a show in Edinburgh a couple of years ago with a friend of mine too. I was doing my solo show and in it, a reviewer came along and said that I was doing light feminism. And I was talking about the sexualization of teenage girls and how when I was, and the routines are really funny. So I always feel like I have to contextualize this by kind of going, yes, I was talking about serious stuff, but I was also talking about landing in Louisiana. And the first thing I see when I hit the runway is a sign that says, um, well, I think it says, welcome to Louisiana and uh, uh, welcome to New Orleans. And it says, Larry Flint's barely legal strip club. That's a sign on the runway at the airport, right? And Nola. And I go like, 
like barely legal just in case you're wondering that doesn't mean the fire exits were obstructed that's not the kind of barely legal <laughs> it's like the age of the strippers right they're barely legal you know like barely legal strip club barely legal magazine how is this still allowed why don't we start calling it what it actually is almost pedo right yeah now, if we started calling it that they'd think twice and i say look i'm just saying if you're a necrophiliac you don't get to have a magazine called nearly cadaver right so there's these these are routines that have jokes and i talk about there's a point and you'll remember it in your life Every woman has it, and it's normally around 14 or 15. It could be earlier or later, depending on how quickly. I don't want to say the word bloom because it makes me feel ill. Everything's around flowering, budding, ugh, right? But there's a point where you stop becoming a girl and you become like a piece of ripe fruit that somehow needs to be plucked by like a pervy old man. Like, and it's not ever the guy that you want it to be. That's not who you're getting the attention from. It's some older gross man that's noticed you and is like your dad's friend yeah it really is it's really so i was talking about that in the show and this review was like light feminism and surly so there was like this whole class thing there you could go that's me taking a review to heart like a bad review i also had good reviews that year but i felt really like i was like you're not listening and you don't get it and that same year we did a show called casting call woe which was all about my friend runs a blog which lists like casting breakdowns for things and it'll be like sexy woman with big boobs to play none uh this woman is uh past her prime age 25 to 35 like yes kind of oh stuff. yeah we would read them out we built a whole show around it and someone came along on the first day there was a gay guy who reviewed it and he gave it one star and he's like oh you're bludgeoning this we get it women have it hard and I, again, after that, like, so then last year, all of the this gay, stuff, The gay man who's like, there's only one breakdown in the casting services. It just says, gay man, we'll take anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and he, it, but it was so, it was so, uh, it was like, we get, they're bludging it. We get it. Women have it hard. And it's like, no, I don't think you do get it. I don't think you do. But that's a great example to me of like, I mean, gay people don't even get to play gay people on TV. And so let's all be on the same side about that yeah there's no reason to like de- demean ladies who are talking about this problem just because that's a it's it's way worse for gay men yeah you know what i feel like there's a little bit of that i i don't like infighting at all no. with marginalized groups we have to be on each other's no, sides and regardless. i feel sometimes that can happen there was a really great article about can we talk about misogyny amongst gay men Oh, um, I can't know. even, yeah. So I, I think there is a, I've always, I have my friends who are like super supportive and always have been. Um, and, but then I have known, you know, over my time, a few that I was, there's like a real kind of hatred or a resentment or only a liking of a certain type of woman. Um, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, obviously I'm not the person that can tackle that. I can call out when I feel like someone's doing it I mean, I don't think that gay men, it certainly doesn't get talked about enough, their internalized misogyny and how they, we, I mean, there's a lot of talk definitely about how gay men can be our accessories and how we just keep them around yes, so they can, we can tell us that. We, we can, uh, not objectify, but yes, like, that works both ways. I've seen, I've heard women referred to as fag bangles and stuff like that. Like that Say it again? Fag bangle. <gasps> like like hanging off my wrist like, yeah bracelet yeah uh-huh you know, oh my um, god and so that goes but like all my my gbfs my gays my you know like from women you know um i say my gay family and then i don't really think about it but you know maybe that's not a cool thing to say and is it even relevant to bring anyone's sexuality into anything <laughs> oh last week i introduced a friend of mine who's a director and i said it as a i meant it as a joke of gendering her job and i said 
this is my friend Rachel. She's a lady director. And she goes, I just prefer director. And I could, I, 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 she just, it's not her place to let me, she, of course she should correct me. Like I was making a joke about it, yeah. but still not good. I was participating in the gendering of her very rare career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, this is the thing about getting more women in these sort of positions, I guess, that we should all sort of elevate each other. And I think that's, that's the beauty of, I guess, that kind of social change or that kind of idea of feminism that's shouting about things. I think, I mean, I do believe that anyone who does what we do is sort of a political act in itself. Just the visibility of us, just us existing means that young girls can watch us and go, I can do that. Oh, that's okay to do. Yeah. If you you can see it, you can be it, you know, that beautiful sort of thing. But have you ever had, for example, in your book or in any of the podcasts, have you ever had an email of someone when you've spoken about a topic? Now, it doesn't have to be related to feminism. It could be about, you know, um, depression. It could be about politics. It could be about anything. But have you ever had like an email or a connection with someone where after they've seen or heard or read something you've done that they've said, that means so much to me that you spoke about that thing? Yeah, I, I talk a lot about periods on in the book and on the show and how long it took me to even understand what my body was doing. And it took me talking about how little I know about it, about my period um, menstrual cycle on the podcast for my friend who is a doula and also a period coach to make me come into her office and she said I'm going to teach you what you need to know so she te- she does this as a service I've never heard of a period coach it's like I'm sure you're I'm sure it's going to happen here soon but it's essentially a woman who understands the reproductive system and then tells you in very plain English what's happening so she got me to start um tracking my period which I never did before I was just kind of like suddenly surprised <laughs> and it's been really revolutionary to have the information and know what my my uh, luteal cycle is and what my follicular phase is and what that means as far as my mood and my body and when I should schedule vacations around my hormonal changes, which uh, yeah. has been, and meetings and stuff. I only recently realized that I get PMDD, which is uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, I think What it's does called. that mean? Which I get like suicidal ideation <gasps> and depression and it is very very real it's about a week before for a full week no it normally happens about a week before but knowing it was literally life-saving like I haven't talked about that in my stand-up I've talked about periods in my stand-up and I used to do this routine about explaining to guys like never never take here's a weird thing never taking pride in what my body was able to do to go every month I build a house inside me for a baby and then when you don't leave one there it gets demolished (laughs) But like, I had this whole routine about it and some girls sent me some cards after my show with Vagina House on it, which is gynecologically a little bit unsound, but the point is, it is funny to say Vagina House, I build a house in my vagina, right? Um, and uh, yeah, I think I, I had no idea. I, I just, I knew that there was shame around it. That is definitely one of the things. I knew that all the adverts were mad to say that you had to do extreme sports when you were in your period, because that's yeah. it, like... Um, and I don't know if this is the same in America, but the tax on sanitary products here. Oh, well, we still have ours. Right. But you so, got rid of them. You got uh, rid of the tampon well, tax, right? Yeah, yes. And, but then nothing's actually happened. It was like kind of... What? Well, I know that... Because I felt like c- comedians here, a lot of female comics, there was a year where we all like did stuff about it. 
So we all did these shows at the Fringe. Um, so that would have been in August 2015. And then in sort of March the following year, 2016, um, uh, David Cameron said they were going to remove the tampon tax, but it still hasn't happened due to complications with Brexit, etc. But I felt like all of the women talking that about it, all the comedians talking about it, were part of that kind of direct action, part of a movement where everyone had different material on it. That's the beauty of it. We would all talk about it in different ways, but we come in together to make something bigger than what we're doing happen. And so I, I had a line, uh, which was, if it's luxury, because their class is luxury goods. Same as the US, they're yeah. luxury, where's my Dolce & Gabbana with wings? Where's my Chanel tampon? You right, know, like, yeah. Um, well, in, this, in the States too, the things that are coded as luxury, as, um, aren't coded as luxury items that are a medical necessity are cotton balls, which to me is like, what's the difference tax yeah. code? Yeah. It's yeah. tampons are just a bunch of cotton balls climbing a gym class rope into my crampy <laughs> vagina. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. So I felt like that was one of the moments here where I did feel like comedy could affect social change because there was a fringe. So 2015, it was in my Madman show, I think, but Bridget Christie also did stuff about it and she'd won the, uh, the award, the comedy award for a show the year before, which was a big f- feminist show called A, a Bick for Her, um, which was about... <laughs> oh, the pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, there was there was lots of us talking about periods. You know, Sarah Pascoe had stuff. Um, uh, Roisin Connerty had stuff. Who else had stuff? Oh, like Rachel Paris. Someone had done a yeah. video of, like, Bad Blood, the Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. I think Carrie Ad Lloyd and Rachel Paris had done a... So it felt like there were a lot of people talking about it. In fact, The Independent wrote this whole piece about women kind of busting this sort of thing. And then that that was when, after that, this sort of... And Stella Creasy, who's absolutely a champion, who's a, a, a Labour MP here, who's campaigned for, like, abortion rights in Northern Ireland and stuff as well. Uh, she was campaigning about it, and then it happened. And I felt like... I didn't feel like we were all responsible for it, but I definitely feel like we were part of a movement that created awareness and a push for change. Well, especially in the way the news cycle is operated in both of these countries, that's not going to sell... get clicks, and that's not going to sell newspapers. So it is our job when we find out about this really fucked up stuff that's happening to us as comedians and as people with a platform to educate everybody. And I don't think it's... And what I think happens with comedy is not just other women going, oh my God, I can't believe this. Thanks so much for telling me. In my experience, because uh, my co-host Brian is a gay man and we have a lot of gay male listeners, I'm educating them so they can be on our side. And those are a lot of the letters I get is me is getting thank you notes from gay men saying, thank you for helping me become a better feminist. Oh, that's so lovely. So that because we have a crossover situation on our show, I mean, even though a lot of the issues we talk about are very similar because it's all misogyny or f- fear of the feminine with both gay men and women, that um, we have an, I have an opportunity to educate gay men on what we go through. So the show we did at the London Podcast Festival, I talk about, I break down what happens in a gynecological exam. Right. And I did a te- we did a test show and the guys coming up to me after we have a lot of straight male f- people who listen to the show who are mostly spouses and or, you know, boyfriends, but I'm happy they're there because they're learning. But they're the ones who come up to me and go, I have no I had no idea this is what happens during this exam. 
that a stranger puts a caulking gun into your vagina. Scrapes around. And puts a Q-tip the size of a baseball bat or a cricket racket. I don't know (laughs) what the transition is, but like into your vagina and... And that person's essentially, if you haven't been pregnant, that person's essentially a stranger. Yes. So I'm sorry if I don't feel bad about guys having to have a finger in their bum once a a year (laughs) for 20 seconds. Like, I don't care. After they're 40. This is, yeah, this is invasive. It is. So intimate. We can be invaded. That's one of the things, isn't it, about, like, I guess about women and our our vulnerability. It's that kind of, men can be invaded as well. But, uh, yeah, I feel like that is... Yeah, I feel like sometimes ignorance is bliss and some men want to be, but some men actually, I feel like now, like in the, again, since last year, I feel like men are becoming very aware, looking back on their past behavior and going, have I always been the best? Have I been the best guy I can be? I did a tweet and it upset a few people, but most people got it, which was, you know, saying to guys, if you've ever sort of like, if when a woman has rejected you, have you ever sort of slut shamed her or stonewalled her or prevented her from getting work or been aggressive to her? If you have, now's probably a good time to say sorry. Oh, I 100% agree. There is, it is never too late for an apology. Yeah. It will make, you, you don't, people don't understand how healing it can be. I mean, I, there's this embarrassment thing that you have to get over, which yeah. who the fuck cares? You've actually hurt someone. And even if they didn't know you did it, I think you should still apologize. Yeah, yeah. I think there's... To set an example for your friends. It's, yeah, it is cathartic for the other person. And also a lot of the time, you know, and this is slightly therapy speak, but you can't leave your uh, resolution or your, what's the word I'm looking for? Your, not healing, what's the word? Um, You know, for you to be able to move on, sometimes you can't leave it in the hands of another person because they don't always respond the way you want them to. So for your resolution, for your own internal thing, you decide how you're going to move forward with the situation. But it is really, really lovely to have someone go, oh yeah, fuck that up, and, and actually I'm, I'm sorry. And a lot of the time, you know, maybe they don't realize, they just, they don't realize why, why it is, but it is worth, I know I've lost jobs because I've turned someone down. I know that I've, and, and in my 20s, I was quite ruthless with it as well. I remember once um, a director asked me out to dinner and we sat down <laughs> and, for, and and actually I think my instinct was right because I think the part that he was saying that I was going up for was already sort of cast. He was like, I'm definitely, so at the time I said to my agent, he wants to go for a dinner, but like, I'm de- I've definitely got an audition. And she was like, yeah, and it ended up being at his house. We went for dinner and he's a, he's a sweet guy, but as we sat down for dinner, I went, just in case you're wondering, I'm not fucking you. So if you want to cast me, <laughs> Like that's how it, like in my twenties, I was like, that's quite ruthless. I think it's good to do is to just yeah. set the tone. I mean, if you feel safe doing it, yeah. sometimes it's not yeah. like a situation where women. Um, and and actually, we he wasn't a person that made a thing about it. He was fine. I don't know. I mean, I've never worked for him, so that well, then he be... a, that's the, that's the option. <laughs> Either someone's gonna have a healthy sense of humor about it because they understand the situation that you're in, or they're gonna get mad because that was their plan in the first place. Which either way, I think is a win. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you should all just go in wearing a badge. I'm not fucking you. A shirt. I'm not fucking you. I'm not fucking you. And and interestingly, this this then comes into like sort of the environments we create. Another thing that I think within the comedy community that women have done quite well is we've started to create our own environments, our own audiences, our own ways 
of um, our own sort of communities. And that is part of the big change within comedy, I think. So many women, I do also believe, and I've said this before and a couple of others, but I do believe that women are uh, held back to a certain level, that we just have to be undeniable. And we aren't offered the obvious routes in. So what we have to do is we have to find other ways. We go, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to create a podcast. I'm going to start my own comedy night. I'm going to do this. I'm going to shoot some YouTube videos because this person won't give me a platform. This person isn't letting me in over here and over here. Uh, you know, and, and my friend Deborah, for example, she's got the uh, Guilty Feminist oh, podcast. Yeah. And, you know, that's had like, something about 50 million downloads. And that is all her. Like, she told a story about an agent turning them down because they had too many uh, an agent turning them down because they had too many women or like too many oh you mean the things. number the the biggest consumer of all goods in the world yeah yeah with the great the, the people with disposable incomes you know who are making kind of like, all the purchasing decisions yeah for and, households and themselves yeah and That's then the dumbest also within cinema as well you know it's all women over 35 that are the biggest with disposable income are the biggest cinema goers and nothing is made to cater to us or represent us in that way. Yeah, I was uh, asked to write a piece about some of the Me Too stuff and what's happening in the club scene in America without going to names of mentioning because I feel like it's kind of regurgitating. Uh, I said no to writing the piece for this newspaper. Oh, I can, it's fine, it's, I can say, I was asked to write a piece about Louis C.K. And I didn't want to. What I wanted to do was write a thread about women in comedy and how rather than focusing on men that are getting it wrong can we please shine a light on women who are smashing it and being brilliant and doing all this great stuff and within that i said support us by you know buying our specials following us on twitter and instagram watching tv shows tweeting when you love a woman because they listen to these things they listen to twitter and instagram and all of these kind of you know Snapchat, I don't know how Snapchat works, let's not even pretend, Tiffany. You know, I used it once, I drew a, a dick, a picture of a dick, and then I shut it down. Um, but it, it, it's, um, it's really important. That's the thing. That's how you support women, and you tell people about them. And I realise that in today's environment, it's hard for this to change. This is just a thought that's coming into my head now, because... Back in the old days, people got through in these old systems and ways by who you knew, and that's why we have this kind of dominant white male, middle-aged, middle-class kind of uh, dominance in entertainment, for example, and in business as well. You know, there's that quote, isn't there, that there's more uh, CEOs named David than there are... John, I think, yeah, yeah exactly. Women, right? right, in blue pick chip a, companies. Pick a name, yeah. Pick a name, any popular man's name, right? So, so there's that, right? So now, so within that, these are the people that come through and they get more popular because they get more visibility, they get the platform, they get everything else. Now, in the last probably, I would say, 10 years, social media has begun to change how people book people onto TV shows or how people listen to things because people can destroy stuff. But a Twitter thread could destroy a TV show, for example, right? Now, here's the thing. I think in recent times, the way people do that is people are less likely to shout about stuff they love. People like to use these platforms to kind of shit on things. And even sometimes within stand-up, I'm very conscious that if I've kind of done a slammy, 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 I have to do a thing of kind of going, I love something, or I love this person, or I love what they do. If I'm going to slam Piers Morgan, I'm also going to go, I love Stevie Nicks, look at Stevie Nicks, you know, like, so I do think that that is the way forward, is kind of getting our names out there. You shout about them and you share and you tell more people because the audience really does have the power now. And so it's easy when you've walked away from a show and really enjoyed it to kind of go, that was great. 
and you don't think to say or tweet anything about it. But actually, that's really important now. I think if you see a woman and you think they're kicking ass, shout about them. So I started this little hashtag, kind of like shout her name. Mainly comedy, but then I'll branch it out and it will be singers, writers, whatever. Just shout her name and then all of your followers can then follow this brilliant person as well. And then somehow we then begin to get the same level of awareness and exposure and chatter as all of those men that got there before the audience did have a say. So I think if we can, if you think every time you tweet such and such a show is shit, then make sure you also shout about something that you think is great. I also think like, why waste your time talking about shitty shows anyway? Just like, unless they're doing something offensive or something awful, like spend your time. I think time is also currency. So spend your currency, as you were saying, watching something that's actually enjoyable that hopefully stars a woman or is created by a woman. and talk about that until everyone's tired of hearing about it yeah yeah and that's how we start to make just support us also the other thing i said was be loving to us in the way that you are to like male comedians allow us to grow and make mistakes and nurture us and and cherish us and and make it so that we don't have to talk about all this this pain and our abuse and all the shit stuff that's happened to us make it so that we can talk about anything you know make that you know so that's my hope anyway. I think it's happening. I mean, I, all signs point to yes as far as what I'm seeing. We're seeing awful things happening at the same time as I don't know of another time in history where women have had this much visibility as far as our issues and what's happening to us. So that's really something we should celebrate. Talk about talking yeah. about the things that are great. We should be celebrating that this is happening and we've got this renaissance of rights and platforms and freedoms right now. Yeah. For now. Yes. Yes. A positive, Until it's all taken away from us. A positive note to end on, I think. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Cool. Do you know what the hardest thing is? Is agreeing with you so hard, but not wanting to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I'm just doing like a mind act over here. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Also from Lush Podcast, the John Robb Tapes. Punk legend John Robb digs through his cassette tapes to bring you exclusive interviews with other musical icons. Some are from the vault and some are brand spanking new. Find the John Robb tapes wherever you find podcasts and on the Lush Player. (laughs) 